Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. All right, everybody. Welcome to Rico Bronia. The Mets get walked off by the Washington Nationals. They split a two-game series. And if you were hoping that we were going to come on the Rico and break down the upcoming schedule and give you the mathematical equations that could lead to the New York Mets getting the third wild card spot. Well, I'm afraid I got some bad news. Any hope of that, which shouldn't have existed anyway, was extinguished with this brutal loss in the finale of the two-game series against Washington. Jose Budo was great. Mopen blows it. Mets ground and line into a bunch of double plays. They have a Phil Bickford special in the ninth inning, and they lose to the Nationals 3-2 to when they split the two-game series against Washington. The Mets are not playing bad baseball by any stretch they have not given up on the season they are not losing every series but right now they're very average and average isn't good enough if you're you know a believer in some kind of miracle run that gets them close to 500 and potentially a playoff spot take a look at what we just saw on the homestand they lost two out of three to anaheim they lost two out of three to texas they win two out of three against seattle and now they get this split against washington so i was never a believer in this. The only thing that I I know jumps out at all of us, or some of us at least, is that their schedule from here on out, really after the Minnesota series because it's interleague play, they face everybody they're trailing. And so I guess there's that small part of you that says, wow, it's right in front of you. Go win every game and you can make the playoffs. The problem is the Mets are not good enough to win every single game. I mean, that's just not, that's not a real scenario. And if they had pulled maybe within three games of the third wild card spot, 
no matter what was left on this roster, yeah, you could talk yourself into being in a pennant race, but they're not in a pennant race. They're playing out the string. We're getting to at least see the young guys play. Ronnie Mauricio's out there every single day. But this is not about making some kind of miracle run to the postseason. We got a lot to get to. We'll talk to these two games about these two games. I want to get into David Stearns because obviously that's heated up over the last few days. Buck's very controversial comment to Gary Cohen, which has pissed me off. And an update on the posting system if you're a big fan of the Mets going after Yamamoto at the end of the season. So we'll address all those things. Hoffman is not here. Here's why. He's got a very good excuse, by the way. He's in a fantasy draft. And his fantasy draft is occurring right after Mets Nationals. So he should be focused on making sure he gets as many Jets as humanly possible to keep himself happy and build his fantasy team. So it's me by myself with very limited coughing. I have hopefully eliminated the coughing. I think talking over the last couple of days on Evan and Tiki has almost forced me to have to live life without coughing. So if you want to play the over-under game, that number is going down this time. I think it's about four and a half. But anyhow, let's get to the baseball. Let me get into these games, and then we'll break down the other issues. Game one of this series was kind of cool because we saw the offense just go nuts right off the get-go. Really, everybody hit Brandon Nimmo, hit another home run. He's had a great power season. He had two home runs on Monday night or Tuesday night. He's got 22 for the season, which is crazy. And I mentioned this last time. We're going to do a deep dive on Nimmo's offensive year this year because it is kind of fascinating when you compare it to last year. But Nimmo goes crazy, gets three hits. Francisco Lindor's got two more hits and another RBI. Pete Alonso does what Pete Alonso does. He drives in more runs, including hitting another home run. But really, the most important thing we saw offensively on Tuesday was Francisco Alvarez. Alvarez, while, and I said this last time, he is the safest of the young players in terms of being an everyday player next year. I don't think there's any question that Francisco Alvarez is penciled in, or not penciled in, he's in permanent ink as the starting catcher for this team. We can debate how many games he should play versus how many games that say Omar Narvaez plays, assuming he's still on this roster. But Francisco Alvarez will play most of the time behind the plate. He has shown enough defensively this year. He's been inconsistent offensively, but listen, catcher is still a defensive position. And if a guy with that kind of offensive potential is defending as well as Alvarez has been defending, then there's no question he's the everyday catcher. So it's not about, hey, I want to see Alvarez get hot because he's got to earn that job. I think it's more to just complete this season fully. This is a rookie year for Francisco, and he has been insanely streaky. I think when you look overall at his numbers, they're, I guess if you look at them in the prism of a catcher, especially such a young catcher, they're awesome. You look at them overall and you see a 730 OPS, a 216 batting average, 22 home runs, 51 RBIs. You may say they're average. For a catcher, they're pretty damn good. But you want to see him at least finish strong. And what was great about what Alvarez did, not only did it happen early in the game, so it was a quote-unquote clutch home run that set the tone, but Francisco Alvarez was able to get off the snide during this home run coldness he's been involved in. It was a bomb. It was awesome to see. He had two hits in this game. And I think seeing Alvarez finish strong is just nice. It's nice for him. It's nice for us as fans. And look, Francisco also did something that I do want to mention because it takes a lot of guts. It's not easy to do. Uh, I'm trying to learn Spanish. I live in a household where my wife 
speak Spanish. I mean, English is her first language, but she speaks Spanish. My in-law speaks Spanish. And I've tried to learn Spanish. But I can tell you right now, I don't have the balls to do an interview in Spanish because I'd embarrass myself. That's just the reality. I, I, I don't know how I would even complete full sentences despite my efforts at trying to learn a second language. So I have great respect for anybody that's learning any freaking language because I know how difficult it is. Francisco Alvarez pulled Steve Gelbs aside and said, I want to learn English. Now, Francisco's 21 years old. He's a kid, essentially, and said, I want to practice with you. And of course, Gelb said, sure, of course, I'll practice with you. Steve Gelb's talked about this around. This is not a private story, obviously. And then Alvarez, after he hits the home run, gave an answer in English. And I thought that was awesome. I thought that showed a lot of guts and it was really cool. And he's got more balls than me. Because if I was down in the DR right now, I wouldn't have the balls to do an interview or even answer a question in Spanish because I'd be too preoccupied with how the hell I sound. So great job by Francisco. And really, that was a fun game. I mean, it is kicking, even if it's against Washington, and even if the season may be over technically, is still fun. It was fun to see Nimmo go deep. It was fun to see Pete go deep. You know, that toxic Pete Alonso. It was fun to see Alvarez go deep. It was fun to see the Mets offensively make it look easy and score early. Because remember, they scored four runs in the first inning. This game was over by the third inning. It was 7-1 after three. It was 8-1 after four. It was 9-1 after five. This has been an offense that all year long, very different than last year, has struggled to get off to good starts. Like we haven't seen those crooked numbers early. And they were able to do that against Patrick Corbin, who I, I don't know what happened to him. I mean, was it all the 2019 run? Was that what took everything away from Corbin? Hold on, I got a cough coming. <laughs> That's number one. That's not bad. But Patrick Corbin's remarkable. He makes his starts every five days. So give him credit for that. But he's terrible. He's got a five and a half ERA. He gave up eight runs in four innings and three home runs. Uh, Jose Quintana, it was good to see the Mets give him run support because as good as Quintana's been, that was only his second win of the season, but he was great. Now, Jose Quintana is a weird guy to grade for how he's been in 2023 because by the time he came back from his injury, it was too late. It didn't matter. Now, is that his fault? Not necessarily. I mean, you want to blame guys for getting hurt. I guess you could. But since he's come back, despite the Mets being dead by the time he has, Jose Quintana's been really good. So there's a part of me that says, well, I give Quintana, you know, if you don't want to penalize him for his own injury, I'd give him an A. Guy's got a three ERA. Guy goes out and basically pitches six innings every start. He's been great. The problem is Jose Quintana, again, unless you want to blame him for his own injury, has not made an important start for the New York Mets all season long. If he was here in April and here in May and here in June, this entire season could be different. You try to define what went wrong with this team, and I know we've tried to do it already, and we'll probably try to do it more during the offseason, and obviously the easy answer is Edwin Diaz's injury during the World Baseball Classic, and an easy answer is Justin Verlander missing the first month of the year. Throw Quintana in. I think he's been so good, and he was so good second half of last year for St. Louis after the trade deadline deal, that it's a reminder of what could have been if he was out there every five days. Jose Quintana, if 
he was pitching at this level, assuming he was, and he was out there in April, May, and June, I don't know if the Mets ever sell off these guys. I don't know if we're talking about the same kind of season. So it's a damn shame. It's a part of what led to the mess of this season. Injuries. And Jose Quintana's injury was a killer. And how good he's been here in the last month and a half is a reminder of what could have been. We we also, and we see this now, with all the bullpen auditions like Sam Coonrod, who's got great stuff. Sam Coonrod sucked on Tuesday night. It was a reminder that even though Trevor God has his moments and Sam Coonrod has his moments and even Drew Smith has his moments, there is not a damn guy in this bullpen that I would feel all that good about in 2024. Maybe Brooks Raley, and he's had his bad moments. Maybe Adam Adovino, and he's had his bad moments. But everyone else, the Sean Reed Foley's and the Drew Smith's and the Trevor Gotts and the Sam Coonrods, excuse me, and the Grant Hartwig's, it's up and down. Like, there's good moments from some of these guys, but then there's some really, really, really bad moments. A nice win. They take the opener against the Nationals by a final score of 11 to 5. They improve their record to 64 and 74, which is part of why it is comical. I'm sorry. And I'm I'm not talking to anyone specifically other than maybe a couple of my friends who text me this and maybe a couple of people on Twitter who tweet about this. This idea that the Mets were set up to go on some kind of miracle run. They are 10 games under 500. Now 11 after they lost the finale on Wednesday. That's who we are. Like, this team will probably finish, if I had to guess right now, I'd say they go 500 the rest of the way. Do the math. That's 76 wins. That ain't close to a playoff spot. Though, I forget what year it was when Major League Baseball announced the new playoff format. I had this curiosity, this geekly curiosity of going back over the last decade and seeing were there ever any years in which a team would have made the playoffs with less than 81 wins. And I'm going to look this up real quick as I vamp a little bit. I think the year I came up with was 2014, okay? I'm pulling this up right now. I think in 2014, the Mets of all teams would have made the playoffs with like 78 wins under the format that we have right now, which is six teams making the postseason. Obviously, that's not going to happen this year, but the one thing that has happened that has been surprising is that the National League and the bottom of the National League is so mediocre that you may have a team make the playoffs with, let's say, 84 wins. All right, here's what, here, here's what it is. And I am not wrong. I remember this correctly. The Nationals won 96 games, so they're your top seed. The Dodgers won 94 games, they're your two seed. Uh, then you had the Cardinals win the Central. The top two wildcard teams won 88 games. The third wildcard team, I was off by a few games, would have been 82 and 80. The Milwaukee Brewers were 82 and 80. The Mets finished 79 and 83. So they finished three games back, which is a pennant race, I think, for the third wild card spot. I don't know if it's going to be 82 and 80, but when you look at the bottom of the National League, it's not going to take a huge win total to sneak into the postseason. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Anyhow, let me get to the second game of this series. Right before you could sit down and get comfortable, the Mets score run again, which is great. They're scoring early. Brandon Nimmo starts the game off, gets on base. Francisco Lindor drives in another run. It's one nothing before your ass is comfortable on your couch. Pete Alonzo's getting the Barry Bonds treatment. He gets intentionally walked in the first inning after Adon falls behind him. Pete Alonzo, in the game on Wednesday, the finale of this series, walked three times, two of which were intentional. The other one was semi-intentional. They very much pitched around them. And in his fourth plate appearance, the pitch, I forget who the pitcher was, fell behind 3-0. and And Alonzo took a 3-0 pitch right down the middle and got a 3-1 pitch that he missed. He grounded out. So Pete Alonzo, when you do the math on this, didn't get anything to hit. And I think that's a testament to two things. Number one, he's dangerous. You know, say what you want about his batting average and his OPS and his overall numbers, however you want to gauge it. The guy hit over 40 home runs. He is, and I'll say it again, the most reliable slugger in Major League Baseball. Is he better than Aaron Judge? Not saying that. Is he better this year than Matt Olson? Not necessarily, but SNY put up a stat, which has to jump out at you. If it doesn't, I don't know what you're thinking. The fewest at-bats per home run in the history of Major League Baseball, which for some reason I, I knew was McGuire because Big Mac was always hurt, but hit a crap ton of home runs. So Mark McGuire is first all time. He had a home run every 10.61 at-bats, which is absurd. Aaron Judge is number two, which is incredible for him. 11.67 at-bats. Babe Ruth is third. Barry Bonds is fourth. And Pete Alonso is fifth. Think about the names he is surrounded by, which is a very telling stat. Home runs per at-bat. Pete Alonso is right next to Bonds, Ruth, Judge, and McGuire. He is the most prolific slugger the Mets have ever had. That includes Daryl Strawberry. That's just a reality. And he is the most reliable slugger in Major League Baseball. Am I going to waste any more time talking about how you got to extend them? You already know how I feel. So we're not going to. It's not necessary. They should extend them. <laughs> I think I've made that very, very clear. Mark Vientos had an RBI single in this game. He drove in the second run, which was a line rip to left field. Vientos is look good. And I give Buck credit, though I'm going to rip him in a few minutes. 
Buck played Vientos today at the H, despite the fact the right-hander was on the mound. That means Buck Showalter put down the drug known as Daniel Vogelback. He said, not tonight. I'm going to smoke me some Mark Vientos at DH and Brett Beatty at third. And Keith Hernandez even brought it up on the broadcast. You know, Mark Vientos getting a play right now. He's been hot since he's been recalled, had the injury, but he's hot. He's hitting. We have seen more from Vientos offensively than we ever had. And a part of it is that they're playing him. Something they did not do when he was up the first time around. That's not an excuse for Vientos. That's just the reality. You want to put young players in the best position to succeed. They did not with Mark Vientos. Ronnie Mauricio had two more hits, including his first hit as a right-hand hitter. He is very interesting to watch. He's a long, lanky hitter. He's got exceptional power. He's so fast. I love that batting stance from the left side. We got to see him from the right side where we know he also has power. We certainly saw it in spring training. Ronnie Mauricio is the most interesting thing to watch over the final month of the season. I stand by, you can't draw that many conclusions from it, but I still want to watch him every single day. And for now, Buck continues to play him at second base. That's where we're seeing him every day, which I don't have a problem with. Now, let me get to the end of this game. Jose Budo is outstanding. I mean, the best we've ever seen from Jose Budo. And Buck is in a predicament. It's 2 nothing. First and third, one out in the seventh inning, and Buck Showalter, the very low pitch count, so it has nothing to do with pitch count, I don't think, decides, I'm going to go to Trevor Gott. And Trevor Gott, who I mentioned earlier, is in that cavalcade of relievers who will have their good moments, but then they're going to have their really bad moments. Trevor Gott gives up the lead. Trevor Gott immediately gives up a base hit to Jake Gallo. Uh, was it Jake Alou? No, I think it was Adelmo Vargas is the guy he gave up the base hit to that made it two to one. He gives up the base hit to CJ Abrams with two outs. And so this two nothing lead that was nursed by Jose Budo, where he pitched this best start as a Met gets blown to schmitherines by the crappiness of Trevor Gott. And from that point on, you knew what I knew. <laughs> they ain't winning this game. Granted, they're playing the Nationals. They are not winning this game, especially when you looked at how they ran themselves out of the next few innings where they had opportunities to take it all back. They had the opportunity. Omar Narvaez singles with one out in the eighth inning of a newly tied game, and then Ronnie Mauricio hits the ball hard. Great. Lines out the second base. Narvaez is caught off first. Boom, he's out. Very, very frustrating. And I'll tell you what else was frustrating about that whole scenario with Omar Narvaez. Why are you not pinch running for him? Like, why in that moment, with one out and a runner on first, is Tim LaCastro not off the bench pinch running for Narvaez? Just a question. I get it. September 6th, who cares, right? Games don't matter. I just, I just ask it a question. Instead, you leave Omar Narvaez out there, and he's got to set up his ass, and he gets picked off first base. Then Rafael Ortega in the ninth inning, very good at bat, draws a walk. Brandon Immo grounds into a double play. So the back-to-back double plays are an absolute killer. And then the ninth inning was just, I think I've said this before, but I really feel this way. If the Mets weren't buried, 
this would have been one of those losses that you were not sleeping after. Because think about what happens in the ninth inning. Phil Bickford comes in with a tie game. He faces the immortal Carter Keyboom, and he walks him on four pitches. Great. Tie game, bottom of the ninth inning. Why the hell not? Why not walk Carter Keyboom on four pitches? To make matters worse, he gets ahead of Jake Alou 0-2, one with a pitch count violation, and hits him. And he effing hits him. So now you set up, two on nobody out, Vargas gets the bunt down, second and third one out, Jacob Young, good night. And there's your baseball game. And the Mets lose to the Washington Nationals. They do not sweep the Nationals. They do not create this fake pennant race that you think they're in. They just lose. And they split to Washington. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Now, enough about these games, because I think I gave you a nice little breakdown for those that still care. Let me start, before I get to Stearns, with Buck Showalter's comedy made to Gary Cohen from Tuesday night. So I'm watching this game Tuesday. I'm relaxed. I'm feeling good. And Gary Cohen gives the, you know what, maybe, should I just play the audio? I know I'm doing this by myself. I'll play it through my phone in case you missed it. Hopefully it sounds good. If it doesn't, just blame Pete. You ready? Here we go. Oh, well, I guess right from the beginning. Here we go. Hey, it's Hoff. Guess what? The audio didn't work. But if my recollection, if I remember properly, because you played this for the media this morning, that Buck Showalter basically told everyone that he only reason why he was playing guys like Brett Beatty versus left-handers in the National Series was because the Nationals were out of contention. But versus other teams, that may not happen. They may have to play guys like Aruiz or whoever because it would, wouldn't be fair to those playoff-bound teams or those teams fighting for the playoffs. I think I got that right. Hopefully I did. Hopefully I didn't screw it up. All right. This is ridiculous. I mean, that, that comment, if Buck actually said that, and I believe he did, is absolutely asinine. Buck Showalter is telling us, the consumer and the diehard fan, that we need to care more about the Diamondbacks, Reds, Marlins, Cubs, Giants pennant race than we should the development of the team that we pay money for and care about. That's what he said. He said to Gary Cohen, well, against the Nationals, sure, I'll throw Brett Beatty against the lefty and see what he's got, which matters. But against the Reds or against the Marlins or against the Diamondbacks, I can't do that because I owe it to the other teams that are in a pennant race 
to put the guys on the field that give me the best chance to win. Because in his point is, look, Brett Beatty sitting 130 against lefties, that doesn't give me the best chance to win, but it gives me the best chance to evaluate what I have. I'm I'm sorry, and this may sound like hyperbole, but I've had hours to think about this, so it's not. That's a fireable comment. That's an insulting comment. I am deeply insulted by Buck Showalter caring more about the Cincinnati Reds than he cares about us. And I'm sorry if you take that and say, Evan, you're, you're taking it too far. I don't think I am. I do not care. You should not care. Buck Showalter should not care about the integrity of the Marlins-Reds wildcard race. It's not as if the Mets are going to put position players on the mound. I'm not suggesting that. I'm not suggesting doing what Doug Peterson did with the Eagles a couple of years ago against Washington. No, what I'm merely saying is that Brett Beatty needs to be evaluated. And I'm not going to avoid evaluating him because in Buck Showalter's warped mind, we need to give the Reds the benefit of Jonathan Aruz playing third base. That's asinine. And if Steve Cohen heard that, and I hope he does, I think he's got to call up Buck and say, that's that's insane. Like, okay, I'm not going to fire you, but I'm going to tell you, don't pull that shit. That's what I would say. Because that's what it is. I don't think this is debatable. I don't think there's another side of this. I think that Buck Showalter needs to put the interest of the New York Mets ahead of the interest of the Cincinnati Reds. And I hate to pick on the Reds. I'm just using them as an example. That's insane. And the more I think about it, Gary Cohen knows it's insane. And Gary Cohen knew the reaction it would get. And Gary Cohen was disgusted by it because there's been some evidence over the last couple of years. Gary's done with Buck. Gary didn't like the whole... Uh, which I supported Buck about, the whole Joe Musgrove thing from the wild card series last year. I thought Buck was right. I stand by that. But this is not right. I mean, it's it's cra- it's actually crazy. You care more about the integrity of the wild card race than giving a fair evaluation to the players on your roster? Come on. So those comments were... Were, were stupid. They were horrific. And look, David Stearns is going to take over. And right now, if you ask me, is Buck Showalter the manager of this team? I think it's like 70-30 no. And not necessarily because of these comments, but because if David Stearns is going to take over as the president of baseball operations or the president in general, he's probably going to want to bring in his own manager. That's what I'm thinking. And Buck Showalter is not necessarily going to be the guy. Now, as far as David Stearns is concerned, it it does sound like this thing is happening. Uh, The latest report was there's building momentum towards David Stearns accepting this position, that they're way down the road on conversations, that they've talked about contracts, that it's probably going to happen. The one thing that did concern me was that his wife is from Houston. (laughs) The only reason that concerns me is if his wife's from Houston and the Astros are going after him too, I mean, it's certainly possible David Stearns, despite growing up as a Med fan, says, I'm going to keep my wife happy. Excuse me while I gulp some water. (laughs) 
So, look, I, I still think he's taking the job. I still think that eventually this reality we've all sort of known about for a year and a half to two years is going to happen. But there is a little worry when you hear, well, his wife's from Houston and the Astros are also interested. David Stearns is also the right guy for this job. Now, we're going to do a podcast, and I think we're going to do it probably next week. We got a little bit of time. We're going to do a deep dive on David Stearns' resume, the good, the bad, the indifferent, because I think from afar, our reaction to David Stearns is kind of simple, which is he's from New York, he's a Met fan, and the Brewers have been successful as a small market team. Now, if you take what the Brewers have done (coughs) and you add the money that Steve Cohen has, that this could be even bigger and better. Now, it doesn't always work out that way. That's why I think we need to kind of dive deeper into what David Stearns has done as the general manager of the Milwaukee Brewers. But let's not get this confused. If David Stearns takes over, and he will, he is running the show. Like, Billy Epler will still be here, and he'll still be around, and you'll hear his name. But the buck's going to stop with David Stearns. When we talk about the Mets making a trade, we're going to talk about David Stearns. Now, there are some positions in sports where the guy who isn't the GM, who's something else, something above him, gets all the attention. The Knicks are a great example of that. Leon Rose is not the GM of the Knicks. He's the president of the Knicks. For a while, their GM was Scott Perry. No one talked about Scott Perry. So this is going to be David Stearns' show. Will he fire Buck Showalter and hire Craig Council? I don't think it's as cut and dry as that because I'm not sure if Craig Council necessarily wants to manage in New York. He's a Midwest guy. He has no connection to the Mets other than his relationship with David Stearns. And while they may have a great relationship, that may not be enough for him to say, hey, I want to go from that, which is the laid back, no pressure in Milwaukee, to New York City where everything is questioned. But I do think the eventual hiring of David Stearns opens up the future of Buck to being much more of a coin toss. It's much more of a, we'll see. I know Cohen and Epler have said all the right things about Buck and how much blame he deserves for this failure. And it's not necessarily pinning the blame on him. It's more, there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new guy running the organization and that guy may want his own guy managing the team. But it is very exciting. I hope this happens soon. I hope that we can finally put an end to this, this concept, because it's been years of this. Mets are trying to get permission to talk to him. Mets are talking to the Brewers, Mark Antoniso, about can they talk to David Stearns? Well, now they finally can. (coughs) So I think it'll be nice to have this thing done if it, in fact, gets done. And it's certainly looking that way. Real quick, because my cough has come back, as you could probably tell over the last few minutes. I was reading a little bit about the posting system because Yamamoto appears to be the likeliest Met starting pitching free agent target. You don't have to give up the compensation of a draft pick. You just have to give up money. And obviously the Mets have now created this connection in the Far East. So the way the posting system works, just some facts. I was reading about it and I thought it was interesting. Between November 1st and December 5th, that's kind of the time frame we're looking at, uh, a player can be posted by their team from the Nippon Pro Baseball League and Major League Baseball. For his posting to become official, both the team and the player must agree on the posting. I think that seems inevitable. Yamamoto wants to come over. He's going to be posted. Question is, when does it happen between November 1st and December 5th? The NBP 
MVP team will tell the MVP commissioner, who then will tell Rob Manfred the player has been posted, and then all Major League Baseball teams are notified. At that moment, all clubs are free to negotiate with Yamamoto. You then have, from the moment he's posted, 45 days to negotiate with Yamamoto after he's posted. If no agreement is reached in that time frame, the player returns to the Nippon Baseball League. That's it. He cannot be posted until the following season. So it's over. So if in 45 days, Yamamoto doesn't feel comfortable with the offers that he's made and he doesn't accept any of the offers, it's done. And he goes back to the Nippon Pro Baseball League. If Yamamoto signs a contract with an MLB team by the end of the signing period, he becomes a part of that MLB team and the NBP team receives a bid fee for the transfer. So this is where it's purely financial, and that's the muscle that Steve Cohen has. For major league contracts with a total guarantee value of $50 million or more, the release fee will be 20% of the first $25 million plus 17% of the next $25 million plus. The, the one thing I don't know, and this, I guess, matters more so to Steve Cohen than maybe us, is does the posting fee, this tax you have to pay, does that also get taxed via the Cohen tax? Or is it simply looking at whatever the final contract is? This is going to be expensive. Now, I don't know what Yamamoto eventually gets. I would I would just venture to say it's a little bit more than what Kodai got. He's younger. I think he's highly regarded, more highly regarded. So probably gets a little bit more. So you not only have to pay him that, you got to deal with this tax we're talking about. But if I had to sit here right now and guess, that's, that's what I think they do. I do. I, I think if I had to guess right now, they're going to add starting pitching during the offseason, and I think Yamamoto is going to be their main target. And again, Steve Cohen will use the muscle of money to get that deal done. One other thing I want to touch on before I cough it up. There was a baseball game on Wednesday night. There was a baseball game that featured the Houston Astros taking on the Texas Rangers. There was a baseball game that featured a pitching matchup between Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. And as you would expect, this was a really big game. If you take a look at what's going on right now in the American League, not only are the Mariners, the Astros, and the Rangers fighting for a postseason spot, they're fighting for the division. You know, the Astros have bounced back from the Yankees sweep with back-to-back wins against Texas, and they came into this game 79-61. and They came into this game two games ahead of the Texas Rangers, who are on a two-game losing streak. They have jumped ahead of the Seattle Mariners. What I'm trying to tell you is this was a huge game, monstrous game, especially for Texas, because this is the finale of the series. They lose this game. They get swept. You don't want to get swept by the Houston Astros. You don't want to get the Houston Astros hot. The pitching matchup was Justin Verlander against Max Scherzer. I'd love to share with you how Max did. (laughs) I mean, it's a big game, so you know what that means. Three innings, six hits, seven runs, three home runs. 
<laughs> Mercenary piece of craps. Oh, it's so Max Scherzer, isn't it? Now, I don't care how Verlander did, and Verlander did well. I don't have ill feelings towards Justin Verlander. I don't. Justin Verlander has become this irrelevant player in the history of the New York Mets. Now, he could take that as an insult, I guess. He doesn't mean anything to me. Like, there aren't many bad moments I think of. There aren't really any good moments I think of. Justin Verlander just happened to spend a couple of months with the New York Mets. So it's not as if I'm rooting for him. I just, he doesn't mean anything to me. Max Scherzer sucked. Max Scherzer, and we were all excited about it. I admit it. We were all excited about the signing. Max Scherzer was so bad in every big moment. You name the big moment, he was bad. If Max Scherzer wasn't bad in every big moment, the fate of our franchise would look different. If Max Scherzer isn't booed off the mound and throwing batting practice against the Padres, things are different in that series. If Max Scherzer doesn't crap the bed in Atlanta last year, things are different with the division. And if Max Scherzer doesn't crap the bed in every big moment in 2023, maybe they're not selling. So to see Max Scherzer in his first truly big start as a member of the Texas Rangers, be as bad as he's ever been in a big spot, it's a crying shame. Spoiler alert, he's hurt. He's battling through some injury, but he knows his body. Well, you may know your body. I know the results. Big moment, small outing from Max Scherzer. We appreciate you listening to the Rico. Now we get another off day, and then we get a weekend in Minnesota against the Twins. You can email the pod, thericob at gmail.com, thericob at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening and downloading Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. 